This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. (sighs) Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. First and foremost, he did it again, but this time he set a franchise record for receptions in his first three years with the ball club. I have a feeling I'm going to be giving you a lot of these balls, man. When your number is called, you got to step up. And we had some guys step up today. That's a hell of a win. All right, it's a hell of a win. Now, we got a lot of things we still got to clean up. One and oh, one and oh, one and oh, one and oh. Hell of a win, man. Somebody break it down. Outstanding job. It's hard freaking winning games in the NFL, especially one like that. This is what we've done. We've been close many times. What you guys have done is you just kept coming to work, fighting over and over, cleaning stuff up. As we know, uh, we got one more game ball. Uh, in Bill's history, you're the most winningest coach, I guess. Winningest, I just made that word up, I think. So we want to give you a game ball as well. You know, every time I see those shots from a victorious locker room, I have flashbacks to Vicente Shanko from 2008. Miles, if you know what I'm talking about, when there was... I don't think I do. An unexpected, unscripted moment of nudity in the locker room. Yes. I always get nervous. Uh... We get the raw feed sometimes on our panel of shots from the stadiums. And mm-hmm. anytime I see those, I think back to that day where something very unfortunate happened for Fox and for Mr. Shanko. And for little Mr. Shanko. So uh, that is how we begin the show. I never know what I'm going to think of, and I had no idea that I would be thinking of that. PFT Live okay. presented by Google Pixel. <laughs> Learn more at googlestore.com. We are here on Peacock, Series XM85. Tape delay on Sky Sports NFL on this Monday because Miles has a potty mouth and podcast wherever you may get your podcast. I say good morning to Miles Simmons, who is up and at it 
at 4 a.m. local time as he is every Monday, and we appreciate that very much. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, yeah, it, it was a weird sort of Sunday. I mean, the matchups yesterday I didn't feel like were very great, but then we still got some exciting finishes, and fortunately we finally got a good primetime game. It was not like watching the Thursday night game between the two horse teams that need to be sent to the glue factory. <laughs> the over under for the glue factory reference was 95 seconds. If you had the under <laughs> congratulations. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't help myself, man. That game was so awful. And I, we, I'll say something more about it later in the show. Well, let's get to the good stuff. Cause there was plenty of good stuff, right? Oh, there absolutely was. And the thing about primetime games, when you peel out any game from the cluster of games that otherwise happen simultaneously, there's a chance that that game is not going to be good. That's the risk. That's the problem. You put nine games on at once. If three of them are good, you don't notice the six that stink. So sometimes one of the ones that stink ends up being the only thing on at any given moment. So there have been some lackluster primetime games last night, even though it wasn't high scoring, it was exciting. It was back and forth. And it was a very important game because you had a couple of teams in the same division at two and two, and it's a significant swing three and two versus two and three. Yes, there's still a long way to go, but the Ravens had lost five in a row at home. The Bengals embarrassed the Ravens in Baltimore last year. This just felt like a game the Ravens had to have. And when it's time for me to pick games, I am largely guided by my visceral reaction that is honed by, as much as it ever can be honed, all of my experiences watching football, seeing how games play, my impressions of players, my impressions of coaches. And to to me, last night was a John Harbaugh has to win this game. If anything that we've ever come to know about John Harbaugh is remotely true, John Harbaugh and the Ravens have to win this game. They have to reverse the home losing streak. They have to avenge the 41-17 debacle last year against the the Cincinnati Bengals that put us on notice that the Bengals were for real. And I don't know who's for real and who's not for real yet this year other than the the Buffalo Bills uh, and maybe a couple of other teams, probably the Chiefs tonight. But the Ravens did what they had to do. And they had lost six in a row, decided by three points or fewer with the game-winning field goal by Justin Tucker. And there was never any doubt. You know, it's funny. When he's getting ready to kick it, and they show it's 43 yards, there was a time, Miles, well before when you were born, where 43 yards was actually kind of a long kick. And I know there was a 40-some-yard kick yesterday by the Cardinals that looked like he was actually trying to miss it as far as he could to one side. But, you know, as 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 much as I'm hoping for you know drum roll please and who knows what's going to happen it's justin freaking tucker it's 43 right. yards he can roll out of bed and make this kick I mean, that kick was unbelievable and unbelievable and just how good it was and just how true it was if he had walked up and put the ball between the goalposts, it might not have been as accurate as that kick was. That is unbelievable how accurate that kick was. And yeah, when you get the kicker going around and doing the gladiator, are you not entertained whole thing like that? I mean, it's crazy. And yes, yeah, you know, you see the next gen stats 
where Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal crossed the upright with a wide coordinate, and I don't want to do math, but whatever that is, right? You know, 26.52, and the exact middle of the field is 26.67. So if the uprights were half a yard wide, the kick still would have been good. That is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And it must be really nice to have a reliable kicker. It was right down the middle, literally. And come on, you went to Columbia, the Y coordinate. That's not a high level math. I'd prefer I mean, not I to know. have it mixed with my football, the yeah, X coordinate, the Y coordinate, geometry, I mean, yeah, etc. Let's not make it more difficult than it is for the average person to understand. The point is, it was to borrow a line, dead on balls accurate, right down the middle. And it would have been good if all, I said it, if all they had to do was hit a target. If there was a target right down the middle, a bullseye, he would have hit it. That's how accurate Justin Tucker is. And that just underscores the fact that with him, there is no doubt. And it makes it so stunning when he does have a miss. I remember a late game moment several years ago against the Saints where he missed an extra point, which was like, yeah. Who, yeah. What happened to Justin Tucker? That that never happens except for those very rare occasions, and it wasn't happening last night. The Ravens get the walk-off winner, and yeah, they had to get in position to do it. After the game, Justin Tucker talking to Melissa Stark was, was very pragmatic about it. Yeah, he made the kick, but he doesn't get a chance to make the kick unless a lot of other people do their jobs. And it was a total team win by the Ravens last night. It wasn't just one person. It wasn't just... Lamar Jackson. Here is Lamar Jackson. Do we have Lamar Jackson talking about his mindset on the final drive? Here's Lamar Jackson, the guy who usually is the one-man band who had other folks playing an instrument last night to help him get the win. Let's just do what we do in practice. You know, it's two-minute drill. We work on that every day in practice, you know, um, for situations like this. And I said we prevail. You know, um, offense did a great job driving the ball down the field and giving Tuck a chance. You know, we got to go that kicker, and that's just what it was. Do you have any doubt that it's going in when Justin lines up for that? Nah, I didn't. Uh, I still prayed, though. But I really didn't have no doubt, though, because I thank God we got Tuck on our side. Yeah, you don't need to pray when you got Justin Tucker. You don't, and, and, yeah. and, and I don't know that I still, not to deviate from the task at hand, I don't know that God roots for football teams or that God answers prayers because I think that there are people who are praying on the other side for the kick to be no good. I think all prayers get neutralized in a moment like that they get they get evened out the bottom Unless line is if you have if if you have justin tucker you don't need you don't need the prayers he just makes his kicks and you know uh different kickers are in the hall of fame for different reasons and adam vinatieri will be there for being one of the most clutch kickers of all time but i think justin tucker just gets there because he's the best that's ever done it he really is it's not hyperbole he's been doing it long enough He's just the best who's ever done it. And last night was another example of time to deliver. And uh, we'd like to have a dramatic moment here, but it's 43 yards. It's Justin Tucker. There's no drama involved. And, and, and that's, that's one of the intangibles you need. I mean, it's a tangible intangible, mm-hmm. but the point is, if you have that on your side, if you know you can count on those three points, your life is a hell of a lot easier as a football team. And you're going to win more games than you lose because that guy's going to make the difference for you two, three, four times a year. Well, right. And that's why when Cincinnati scores that touchdown, when they did with the clock as it was, it's kind of like, well, 
this really isn't a great place for the Bengals to be because you have Justin Tucker on the other side. And at that point, all Lamar Jackson's got to do is engineer a drive that goes, I don't know, 30, 40 yards down the field. And you're not trying to get into the end zone. And there's not much more that you can do if you're Cincinnati at that point. You need to score the touchdown, right? You have to be able to get in the end zone. But at the same time, it's kind of like, ah, man, you know, you, you almost want it to wait just a little bit longer because when you get down there and it's that time, I mean, as we're showing this Jamar Chase catch, there's still over three minutes left on the clock. Right, You get down to the one-yard line here, and there's still over two minutes left on the clock. So when the, the Cincinnati Bengals are signaling touchdown, it's kind of like, well, you want that score. You need that score, and there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get into the end zone if you don't get it there. But you also are thinking, man, you don't want to score too soon because all it does is it gives the Ravens that much more time. And so, yeah, when Burrow gets in on this sort of uh, bush push kind of play, which I, I, is that like illegal? I don't know. I guess not. They never call it. Nobody, it's, it's illegal, it, but they never call like, it. Wait a minute. I mean, they never call it, but it's like if it's that obvious, shouldn't it something happen there? Because usually it's not just somebody, a, a tight end, coming around and just obviously pushing the quarterback in there. It's usually like, oh, it's an offensive lineman, and they come in and then they push the pile at the end or whatever. Like that one, that one was kind of weird. Where it's just, yes, if this is the design scheme, we're going to have the tight end literally come and shove the quarterback into the end zone as much as we possibly can. If they're never going to call it. Line up three guys well, yeah, straight behind yeah. the quarterback. I mean, l- let's 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 take full advantage of the Newtonian physics and just jam the quarterback through like a hammer hitting a nail. If they're never going to call pushing the runner, assisting the runner, and I'm fairly certain there is a rule against it, but it never gets called. And that's one of the problems I have with any, not just the NFL, any sport, anything in life. If you have a rule that you don't use, then why? Do you have the rule if you're never going to use it? Two points. One, it, it is difficult when, and I think that this is a byproduct of people who play Madden, because in Madden, when you know that the clock is a factor and you're trying to score and leave the other person with less time, it's kind of easier to engineer a slow path to the end zone. In real football, you can't just say, well, we're going to go extra slowly. We're going to milk the clock here. It's not cat and mouse. It's not, well, I want four yards, I'll get four yards, and then I'll get four, and then I'll get four, and I'll do it in very methodical fashion. No, you can't count on getting those four yards. The drive can peter out if all of a sudden you get cute and you try to move too slowly down the field. You got to take the yardage when it's available. So that's the problem. And there's no way to criticize a team for getting into the end zone too quickly in a situation like that. Because if you try to slow it down, yeah, you may slow it down completely and you may not score. The other thing, Miles, we saw the extra point. And Mm -hmm. I understand that if it's above the goalpost, Terry McCauley, longtime NFL referee, explained last night. It's got to be fully within the outside edge. Even if a goalpost was there and it would have smacked off of it and came right back at us or fallen down or double-doinked or whatever, it's good. 
and I guess it was good. He said it was good. It just looked like it wasn't good. If we can show it again, it looked like it was a miss. I think it would have been better for the Bengals if he would have missed it. Because it's a different mindset for the Ravens if they're tied than if they're trailing. Right? Now, you still would have had to try to win the game in overtime. But if the Ravens get the ball back 16-16, they're not in four-down territory, for example, if they face a fourth down in their ensuing drive. And you're going to be a little more careful because you know it's not just we have to get in position to kick the the game-winning field goal or we lose. It's, well, if we're too aggressive here, we could – we could throw an interception or fumble the football, and they could kick the walk-off regulation game winner. So not that he was trying to miss it or should have tried to miss it or they should have just taken a knee there, but there is a difference in your mindset if you're the Ravens on that final drive. If it's 16-16 versus 17-16, you cut it loose a little bit more. You take more chances, and you get in position to kick the game-winning field goal as they did. Well, right, but at the same time, I mean, do you doubt that Lamar Jackson would have been able to will that team into position to kick a game-winning field goal? I I mean, I I understand what you're saying. The mindset totally is different, but at the same time, Lamar Jackson is still out there. He's still playing at a really high level, and you, you saw it. He was able to engineer that drive. He was able to move the ball down the field. He was able to run the ball effectively, as we have seen him do time and time and time again. So I, I feel like even though it changes the mindset, the results still probably would have been the same. You don't have to go that far in order to get into Justin Tucker's range. You can still call plays that Lamar Jackson is going to be effective on, and that defense is still going to have trouble stopping one of the best running quarterbacks that we've ever seen ever play the NFL. I I mean, I don't know if I should say one of. He really is the best at it. So that's part of why I kind of think no matter if that thing was good or not good in the extra point, the result eventually still would have been the same. Justin Tucker is going to be in position to kick a game-winning field goal, and then he did. And look, with all the kooky, quirky, analytics-driven decision-making that has become normalized in the NFL, and I know Miles is going to be talking about that coming up, I hope to hell we never get to the point where a team scores a touchdown that ties the game and there's oh, yeah. some Ivy leaguer whispering in the coach's ear to take a hey, knee now. on the hey, extra now. point. I said, you know, I hope we never get to that point, but uh, for, think about it. Think, but, but think about this though. Why is he got to go to the Ivy league? Why couldn't he have just gone to Stanford or someplace? You know, I was told or, by or coach MIT. yesterday. I got, I got a Cornell and I got a Harvard guy talking to me in those situations about well, is what Cornell I really do. an Ivy school. Come on. I don't know. Take it up with Andy Bernard. But uh, (laughs) but but I digress. The point is, think about 10 years ago. If 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 someone explains to us all the crap they're going to be doing in NFL games and it's going to be accepted, it may not be agreed with, but it's not like anyone's saying, oh, my God, Barry Switzer going for it on fourth and one from his own twenty nine. He must have lost his mind. Time for the glue factory for Barry Switzer. Nobody is saying that now when somebody does something that 10 years ago we would have said, I can't believe they're doing it. My point is this. I hope we don't normalize at some point a strategy of, we've tied the game up, let's not go ahead by one, because the chart tells us we have a better chance of winning if it's tied now, because they're more likely to punt or not just not, not be aggressive enough to score a field goal, and we have a better chance of winning in overtime. I just... As nutty as that sounds now, hearing 
what's accepted now 10 years ago would have sounded as nutty. That's my point. It took a while to land the plane. I think I finally did without crashing it into the fence. I don't think you crashed it into the fence at least this time. Um, But I I think the difference of that is, one, you're actually trying to score, and the other, you're still on the field and trying to talk about field position and yards and all these different things. If you have a chance to score, you got to score in most situations, unless we're talking about three and seven and six and all that. Ah, So now, see, I crashed the thing into the fence. Look what you made me do. It's it's your fault. but, But here's where this comes from. This is the counter to overtime where the other team has a chance to match the score because right. that team's at an advantage. They know exactly what they need, and they yes. can throw caution to the wind. They have no choice. It's four-down territory all the way down the field because they need a field goal or a touchdown to mm-hmm. keep the game going or win the game or whatever. For the team that gets the ball first, they're operating on a blank slate, and they're mm-hmm. in more normal three-down territory where they're going to punt if the drive fizzles out on their own 30 unless it's you know one of these analytics based decisions that would have seemed crazy 10 years ago but seems normal now but but it does change the mindset and and that's my only point I'd never thought of that until we showed the missed extra point because I it flashed through my head would the Bengals have been better off if it was 16-16 with 158 to go instead of 17-16 and we can say they, they would have been. They wouldn't have been worse off. They would have at least had a chance to win the game, and we know they lost it when they were up 17-16. Let's hear from Zach Taylor, coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Not about these high-level analytics possibilities based on Y coordinates or maybe Z coordinates if we really want to get funky. Here's Zach Taylor oh, no. talking about all three of his losses this year being walk-offs. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. It's just a resilient bunch. You know, we, we've been down in some of these games. We were down 10 to nothing today. We've been down 17 nothing. We've been down, you know, some, some different situations like that. And we, we fight back. Um, again, we can see that the recipe for our success is to start faster and play with a lead. That's ultimately what we want to do. Um, so we've we got to continue to find ways to do that. Obviously, it's going to be different every game for the opponent. But um, it, it's, a, it's a group that I, I love, I believe in. Um, it's a long season. You know, obviously we wish we would have gotten this win, but we didn't. And uh, I'm confident these guys will rebound and go attack the next game on the road the right way. You know, it's funny how easily distracted I am by the advertising that appears on the screen behind the player or the coach to the point where I don't even listen to what the person's saying because I see Bet Fred. I mean, there's all these gambling companies out there now, and I did a quick dive. It's actually a company started by a guy named Fred. It's as literal as it can be. A guy named Fred started a bookmaking operation in London in 2016, and Fred is his name, so it's called Bet Fred. And there we just did a free advertisement for Bet Fred. I haven't heard of Bet Fred. Whatever they're paying the Bengals, it worked. Because instead of listening to whatever Zach Taylor had to say, I'm wondering what the F is Bet Fred. Congratulations, Fred. That's what I took away from Zach Taylor's explanation. Maybe Fred will see this later today on Sky Sports NFL and he'll feel pretty good about himself.
Maybe tomorrow part of the show will be sponsored by Bet Fred. Not that I was trying to do it, but uh, but regardless, look, it's got to hurt for the Bengals. To, oh, yeah. You're in position to win every single game. And, and this is today's NFL. The margins are so narrow. Mm-hmm. And you have these teams having their hearts ripped out, whether it's a failure to execute, like we saw from the Browns, your Browns yesterday, or the Cardinals when you have a chance to win the game, or whether it is you make it all happen, you get it done, you find a way to win the game. And I don't know how much this becomes kind of a a thing where we're losing these close games, so we're destined to keep losing them. Can we turn it around? And the teams that are pulling a rabbit out of their butts, can they continue to do it like the Vikings? They have no business being 4-1. and one. What are they doing at 4-1? and one? They've pulled three straight games out of the thin air, and, and they should have lost each one of them. And so I don't, I don't know that it sets the tone or creates a narrative. It just stinks for the Bengals. They could be 5-0. and oh, They're 2-3. and three. And of those three games where they lose in walk-off fashion, any one of them could have gone the other way. And there's a big difference. 3-2, and 4-1, and one, or 5-0. and oh, And you're under 500 right now in a tough division, in the toughest of the two conferences. It's, it's not a good start for, for the defending AFC champions. No, it's not. And, you know, if I had one criticism of Zach Taylor, it would be you need to stop getting so cute toward the goal line. And we talked about earlier kind of that bush push play. And that's where you're honestly you're getting yourself in the best position you can to get the ball into the box because the straightest or the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Right. Where you're at the goal line and you're starting to do all this cute stuff and you're trying to be the Chiefs. You're not the Chiefs. Nobody else is the Chiefs. Don't try to be the Chiefs. Don't do this. I mean, what are we doing here? It's first down and goal at the two. Run the ball forward. Stop doing this weird stuff. We don't need to do that. Get the ball in position to be in the end zone and go put it there. And so I understand, you know, you want to be a little bit creative, but then this is what I'm talking about right here. Okay, it's fourth down and goal. And you think that that's the best play you got for two yards? Man, this looks real, real, real ugly because you're not the Chiefs. Everybody wants to be the Chiefs, and that play had no shot from jump because, as I put on Twitter, the Ravens read that play like a Dr. Seuss book. That is easy for them. They understood what was coming. They knew their assignments, and that play had no shot from jump. And that's where it's just like, okay, guys, if you're that close to the end zone, just put the ball in the box. Run it. Do what you have to do. It's an attitude play. And that, that's the thing I, don't, I didn't love from Zach Taylor in the Bengals last night. By the way, just had a flashback to when I was five years old. The first book I ever read, Go, Dog, Go, which was <laughs> awesome. Go, Dog, Go. Highly recommended. And it just illustrates and amplifies the greatness of the Chiefs when this happens. I like it when this happens because it forces us to appreciate what the Chiefs do. They right. are the Harlem Globetrotters. Patrick Mahomes is Meadowlark Lemon. I mean, he's the only one that can do it. No one else can do it. Others yeah. can try. He's the only one that can. And we get I to mean, watch how, and enjoy it tonight. Look how uncomfortable Burrow looked there. Burrow looked so uncomfortable just doing, doing that play because he knew it wasn't going to work. And so, I mean, I don't know if they should have called timeout. I don't know what they should have done, but they should not have done that. 
There, I don't know how many times they rep that play in practice, but man, when you have two yards and you think that's your best play and then it blows up in your face that badly, there is some sort of strategic error that you made throughout the week and then at that point in the game to call that there. It just was not a good play. I'd love to know how that looked in practice and could it have looked good enough that would have caused Zach Taylor to say, yeah, let's put that in. Let's put that on the sheet. For Sunday night against the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. And they put it on the sheet and they called it. And it ended up being a piece of sheet for the Cincinnati Bengals. Hey, all right, let's move on. Move on or move out. All the way over to London. The second game. Just one week apart. Tottenham Hotspur getting a lot of use there. And there was an issue. Before we get to what was a very exciting game and an unlikely outcome. There was an issue pregame that was presented to me. And one of the things I try to do in this business, and Jay Glazer explained this to me a long time ago, and he and I were talking recently, and, and I brought him back to that point, and we, we kicked it around some more. There's a lot of journalism that gets done in the NFL journalism world that isn't really journalism. It's just giving everyone a five-minute heads up on the announcement that's about to come, and that gets traded like a commodity. And, Miles, we've talked about it before. You've been part of that. You've worked for a team. I'm not saying anything out of school here. You've said it on PFTPM. You work for a team, and you're told by someone with the team, Schefter's going to break this, and then five minutes later we're going to announce it. It's orchestrated. It's a little – I, it's not the way I choose to operate because I'm I'm not going to engage. I had a GM at one point offer to give me his next scoop five minutes early if I'd quit making a point that I was making. It's like, number one, I don't do things that way. Number two, thank you for letting me know that there are others out there that do things that way. It confirms a lot of the things I think about those people. Nevertheless, I digress, and now I'm going to hear, why are you doing this from my wife? Why are you doing this? Anyway, here's you what I'm doing. You didn't mention any names. Here's what I'm doing. Not, well, not really. But <laughs> Just get to your point. Get to your point. Get to your point. Here's the point. Here's the point. The real journalism in this space is the stuff they don't want us to know about, the stuff they'd rather not us talk about. And one of the things I'm sure they didn't want anyone talking about yesterday was there were people who thought that field at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium that comes up from underground like some sort of a dramatic reveal at a concert, right? I remember going to see Kiss in the late 70s, and they came up from the bottom of the stage, and I thought that was so freaking cool. And this field comes up. The grass parts, and the field comes up. I don't know where the grass goes, but the, but, it's a, but, it's, but there's, there's a long seam down one side with dips yeah. in it, and, and it passed inspection, but the NFLPA confirmed there was a concern about the seams in this field. Like, how can this be? And what were they going to do, fail the field? And tell all the people who showed up for Giants Packers, sorry, we're doing our best to carefully construct a European and international audience. And we brought all these thousands of people out to watch this game. We kind of screwed up the field and we're not going to play the game today. Like that was never going to happen. So fortunately, there weren't any incidents. And I didn't see any noise from the Giants who are very accustomed to a substandard turf field. They play eight games on it a year. Uh, at MetLife Stadium, based upon the complaints we've seen from others. But I, 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 I'm glad that it wasn't an issue. But that was the thing that was percolating before the game even began. And hopefully by next year when they play at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, they get that figured out. Yeah, well, this is what we were talking about last week, Mike, where it is a situation where in European football, as soccer, as we call it over here, 
uh, they do not play on turf. That's why at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, there are two different levels. There's the grass level, which they play, which they use for soccer. And then there is that turf field that, as you said, comes up. And so, again, it's sort of like, why is it that we have these different playing surfaces? And George Kittle made this point last night after the 49ers played the Carolina Panthers. He was talking about why is it that there's not one standard of turf that is used all throughout the NFL so that guys could at least get a chance to get used to exactly what the playing surface is going to be from week to week, from field to field. So I... I still think that there is no reason in the world why the NFL cannot invest in having every single stadium use grass. But that's not really, I guess, what we're supposed to be talking about right now. No, but that's fine because it's something that we need to talk about. It gets glossed over because there's always another bright, shiny object to discuss. And in the course of the football season, it's hard to carve out time to really talk about it, except when there's some sort of an incident. But it is a point that needs to be made over and over again. John Harbaugh has articulated that point. He made it after the Ravens played at MetLife Stadium in week one. Mm -hmm. And it came back again after Sterling Shepard suffered the non-contact ACL tear two weeks ago tonight there, where just he was like he was shot in the knee. He's just running. He didn't even cut. And there it went. I'm with Kittle. Let's have, if you're going to have grass, it needs to be the same standard everywhere. Although they mm-hmm. surely, I think, love to have different, as long as it's grass, they're not going to get picky. But if you're right. going to have turf, why isn't it the same manufacturer? Why isn't it to the same standard? Why isn't it the same 100 by 53 yard carpet that gets installed in these stadiums? So it, it is important. If the owners really care about protecting the investments they made, even if they don't regard the players as the human beings that they are. They should at least care about the investments they're making in these players and keep them as healthy as they can. All right, on that stadium, on that turf that created some concerns, the Giants storming back from down 17-3. to I mean, it was fold the tents and go home. It was get on the bus, fly back to New York, and get ready to play the Ravens right. without a bye week coming up. Here comes the Giants. They tie it up in the fourth quarter. They storm ahead on that wildcat run by Saquon Barkley. And I I couldn't believe what what was happening. And as we got closer to the end of the game, I was doing some other stuff to get ready for our afternoon of watching games for NBC. I was on Matthew Berry's fantasy football pregame show. And it's like, what in the hell? The Giants are up 27-20. Are you kidding me? How did this happen? But that's a testament to the resilience, the toughness, the mindset of the Giants to take that game away from the Packers. That one hurts for the Packers, and it's got to feel pretty damn good for the Giants. Okay, first of all, Mike, I don't know if you know how the world works, but there's no way for the Giants to get on the bus and drive back to New York. There's this big thing. I said get on the bus and then fly. I said get Uh, on the bus and then fly back. Are you sure? It was a misstatement. Uh, uh, okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, we got to give them that commercial and like, see what exactly happened there, you know, where they have the instant replay it anyway. I thought that it was a great win by the giants too. And I really love what Brian Dayball is building there. I mean, I don't know if the giants are going to make the playoffs or whatnot, but you see the confidence building in Daniel Jones a little bit. You see what's going on with Saquon Barkley now, who has had an absolute resurgence with his career, which is not something that I saw coming. I and mean, especially as a running back, 
And I think back to my time in covering Todd Gurley and dealing with Todd Gurley and how there was the knee injury, obviously, that he had before he even got to the NFL. But then in that 2018 season, he kind of suffered another knee injury and it was basically just over for him. And so to see Saquon Barkley come back from the injury issues that he's had and run as effectively as he is running. I mean, that dude is really, really doing it right now. And the Giants have something going, man. They really do. And I think it's impressive when you can go down the field, you can punch the Packers in the mouth as they did. And the Packers just did not have a good enough response to get themselves back into that game. So yeah, credit Brian Dayball a lot because that is tough to go across the pond like that and beat a team that you're really not supposed to beat. They've already won four games this year. They're one of three teams in the NFC East with four or more wins. It's just crazy, crazy when you see it. Four and one Giants, four and one Cowboys, five and zero oh Eagles. They've matched the Giants have their victory total from last season. They were four and thirteen, and they are just getting it done through a rash of injuries, through all sorts of adversity. You got to pack up the operation and take it by plane to England, and then you got to come home by plane and play the Ravens next week. And I spoke to Brian Dayball after the game, and he said he's trying to instill within the organization at every level for every person a refusal to ever rely on the built-in excuses that are always there. Any excuse for not performing, that is going to be ignored, and you're just going to go get it done, and that's exactly what they did. And to the extent that he can get everyone to accept that, that's a – very Belichickian mindset, and I asked him if he got it from Belichick because he spent some time in New England. He said he got it from his grandmother, that that's the way she always was. That's the standard she always impressed upon him, and that's the standard he's now living his life by. And it makes sense because there's always going to be something. If you don't want to give out maximum effort in every occasion, there's always going to be something you can point to and say, here's why I didn't get it done. Here's why I didn't feel like getting it done. This was against me. That was against me. It's not my day. Woe was me. And... A down 17-3 to the Packers with that stadium full of cheeseheads. The Giants did to the Packers what that group of British fans was chanting out in the parking lot before the game, if you saw that on social media, what the Packers yeah. should do with that cheese, yeah. which was something. I was going to ask Matt Casey if we could use that last night on Football Night in America, but too much of it would have had to have been bleeped. That was awesome. I hope people go. Yeah, If you haven't seen it, go find it on social media and there. Tell them where to shove that cheese. Um, but yeah, you know what's funny about the Packers? Yeah, I, I don't understand what's going on right now with dudes getting balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. But why is it that everybody looks like Baker Mayfield? I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul is making uh, Joe Burrow look like Baker Mayfield last night. Aaron Rodgers looks like Baker Mayfield on third and two and fourth and two. How come these dudes can't can, can complete passes anymore? What's going on? Find the angles. I mean, I guess it's credit to these defenders, right? These defensive linemen, these linebackers, front seven folks, whoever they happen to be, or they're getting their hands up and they're batting balls down if they don't get there. But my goodness, man, it's third and two. Let's go. Well, and the other part of it, too, and it, it's hard to really delve into the aftermath of that early morning game because we instantly have more chocolates rolling down the assembly line at 1 o'clock. There were nine games <laughs> yeah. on yesterday. I love Lucy. But Aaron Jones flat out said after the game, why aren't we running the ball? Not yeah. those words, but that was his message. Between me and A.J. Dillon, we're getting that first down. If we run it, why are we throwing it twice in those spots and to have it batted twice? 
And Aaron Rodgers is a normal-sized quarterback, not a normal-sized human. The problem is we got too many normal-sized humans playing quarterback in the NFL, and the ball gets batted down because they're trying to throw the ball in and around oak trees out there in the form of the offensive and defensive linemen that are there to either be avoided or deliberately trying to knock the ball down. And to see Rodgers do it twice was odd because he's big enough that he should be able to avoid that happening, but that's what happened. Here's one that, that came up after the game. J.R. Alexander, star cornerback, said that he's not worried about losing to the Giants. He will be worried if they lose next week to the Jets. Jets come to Lambeau Field. Here's what Aaron Rodgers had to say about J.R. Alexander's observation. And frankly, I don't like all this conversation about losing next week. I'm a firm believer in the power of words and manifestation, and we got to check ourselves on that because talking about that is not that's not winning football. There was conversation about it in the locker room, and I don't like it. And uh, Josh's my guy, but we don't need to be talking like that. Oh, sounds like he was handing out some ayahuasca on the plane on the way back from. I mean, really, long flight, time to time to open your mind and accept all sorts of possibilities, one of which is we will not lose to the New York Jets at Lambeau Field next week. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that he was that candid. But he uses the media to send messages because I think sometimes he knows it's more effective that way than it would ever be if he tried it a different way. But, you know, he kind of shames Jair Alexander And it's going to be an interesting week of commentary coming from those players because Alexander is a talkative guy. And when they ask him about it, when they have a crack at him this week in the locker room or at a podium, I'm sure he'll he'll speak his mind. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, it'll be the first time he hasn't. And it'll be a pretty clear message that Aaron Rodgers got to him and told him to zip it. I, I bet he'll be backpedaling faster than if he's covering Corey Davis. I, you know, I don't think that that's going to be the same thing he says in the locker room this week. And I, I think Aaron Rodgers has a point, even though he's talking about how it's the power of manifestation. And, you know, I, that that is honestly hilarious to me to hear from a quarterback after he just lost and he's wearing a, kind of a nice little cardigan there across the pond. It's just it's a funny thing to hear him say. But at the same time, I think he's right. You don't want to give another team that much bulletin board material. And it's Sunday. We're not even talking about Wednesday where they have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to think about it. They're going to use that every single day this week. And if Robert Sala wants to do that, I think he absolutely should. It's really funny what teams take as motivation, but that one is pretty darn obvious to me. And the Jets really aren't a bad team if you've been watching them. They're, they're, honestly, they're just not. I mean, they're better than I thought they would be, and I don't know if they're really good, but they're not bad. The coaches and the players act like they take none of the things that are said by us. They, they, they act like they don't oh, gosh. pay any attention to it, and they do, and they use whatever of course they can. They do. They'll yeah. twist it if they can. They'll make stuff up if they can. The old Tom Brady, nobody believes in this when everybody yeah. believes in you. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, and we will see examples of guys going so far to not create bulletin board material that you actually had Arthur Smith, the coach of the Falcons last week, says Tom Brady doesn't get nearly enough credit. <laughs> Are right. you freaking kidding me, Arthur Smith, that Tom yeah. Brady doesn't get enough credit? But that is the effort. That is the Lou Holtz effort to do everything in your power to give the other team absolutely nothing that can be used to get them fired up. 
OBJ is firing up the engines at some point about potentially returning. And there was talk yesterday, mid-November, he'll be ready to go. He's available now. Someone shows him the love. He may join a team. And we assume it's going to be the Rams. But I'm not sure I'd sign with the Rams right now. I may be wide open, but if Matthew Stafford's looking at his ear hole, he's not going to get me the football because he doesn't have any time to set up and throw before he gets hit. So should the Packers sign OBJ? Here's Aaron Rodgers on that possibility from yesterday. Well, first, he's not healthy uh, yet, I don't think. Um, So I don't really feel like there's a a need to comment until he's healthy. But, uh, you know, that's really a question for Brian and his staff. I'm always going to be for adding anybody to our squad who can help us win. Um, whether or not we need uh, an OBJ, who knows. But I like the person, love the player, and uh, just want him to be healthy, honestly. He's been through a lot the last few years, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, he's not healthy yet, but the key is he will be. Yeah. And if you want him, now is the time to try to get him. You wait until he's healthy, someone else is going to grab him. Someone else is going to say, we'll take him at 97 if everyone else is waiting for him to get to 100. We'll take him for the finishing touches of his rehab and get a chance to have him running around. He's been cleared for all non-contact work. You have him out there on the field running around catching passes. Why not do that? When he's ready to go, he's ready to go. You're not signing him for right now. You're signing him for when he is healthy. But just because he isn't healthy now, 100% ready to go play football, doesn't mean you should look the other way. I think the problem is Rodgers knows. And all Rodgers wanted was a voice. He didn't really want it to be to be listened to. He just wanted to be able to say, <laughs> hey, I oh, want to no. add these guys. And sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't. He's very easily placated. Very easily placated. Last year, I think the, the Packers made a very lackluster, half-hearted effort to get OBJ. But they did enough to make Aaron Rodgers think they tried. They offered a very low contract. They didn't show him the love like the Rams did. They didn't have the full court press. If they really wanted him, they could have had a chance to get him. And they just didn't really go after him. So, I, I look, I don't know why Rodgers wasn't a little more forceful about it. Maybe he will be behind the scenes before he chooses to be so publicly. And by the way, I don't know that that's a cardigan. And what's with all the black, by the way? Oh, to borrow a line from Walk the Line... <laughs> It looks like you're going to a funeral response from Johnny Cash. Maybe I am. But I don't say that's not a, that's not like Mr. Rogers. I don't know what that is. It's like a robe. And, and like last week, he had that poncho that was people thought it was an homage to Bill Belichick. And he said it wasn't. But he's he's like deliberately the man in black now. And I like that. I like it. I'm a big Johnny Cash guy. But every week we see Aaron Rodgers in all black. I don't know if he's just embracing the dark side fully and completely or what. I think somebody needs to ask him, what's with all the black? You look like you're going to a funeral. Well, he's now a Sith Lord, something like that. He's embracing That's what he the looked dark like last side week. fully. That's what he looked like last week. He had the hood well, and everything. Th- I think that, no, it kind of is true. But I think that that is, I'm pretty sure, considered a cardigan. It's a long cardigan. I mean, would I like to dress like that? Yes, but I don't have that kind of money. So, I mean, who knows exactly what, what he's robe. doing there. It's a robe and a T-shirt. Really they a just robe. charge extra for it because they yeah, can't. Well, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, he probably could have been going to a funeral. A funeral for all that cheese that got shoved where those Giants fans <laughs> wanted it to be. Well, well, yes. I don't know that funeral is the 
<laughs> is the exact term for how that cheese would ultimately be expelled to the earth. But uh, yes, <laughs> quite possibly. Quite possibly. Uh, um, uh, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I think we've done as much damage as we can as it relates to the aftermath of that game. By the way, by the way, thank you to the reader who was very quick to point out that the field is not 100 by 53 yards. It's 120. I forgot the Uh. end zones. I will hang my head in shame during the commercial break for forgetting the end zones. And it is 53 and a third. I didn't realize that they tack on pi to the end of the 53 yards. 53.333 infinity is the width of the field. I will be forever corrected and reminded. I know it's not pi. I just, I just, I like to refer to pi. 3.1416, and those are the only numbers I remember. X-coordinate, Y-coordinate, Z-coordinate. We'll be back uh, with more PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. More math. 